And ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt our program of dance music to bring you a special bulletin from the Intercontinental Radio. There is nothing wrong with your radio. Do not attempt to adjust the sound. For the next hour, sit quietly, and we will control all that you hear. Are you ready to step beyond the known? To embrace the unexplored? Prepare yourself as we dare to push beyond the ordinary. Well, I wasn't Mothman. I, I, <laughs> we were talking about videos of fucking me and Clint's watched of uh, him wanting to road rage fucking people. No, and, not uh, really. It's like ghost people, though. Like people that aren't there, and then all of a sudden they're fucking just in the road out of nowhere, like fucking. Uh, like uh, like like I said, the one we were watching, and like somehow the dude fucking fell through fucking one, like the roof, like it's like a on ramp and a ramp, one below, and like the dude fell through the fucking cement somehow on on the ground in front <laughs> of the car. You know that it's not physical, so run <laughs> over, right? Just, right. Just, just, just smash just, that shit. And the dude's just so, like, oh, I don't know what to do. Oh, that well, other he's in video the country was or whatever you know. But then there's the the dirt road one where the, and they're going oh, down yeah. the dirt road. Somebody's got a fucking like and totally a sand road in the fucking middle of nowhere. Motherfucker right? with a big like white long dress looking fucking thing on, dude, and just walking down the middle of the road. Yeah. And these people like slam yeah. their brakes on. You realize, and then they every... start freaking out and they go in reverse like a motherfucker and it's like run him over you realize every time there's <laughs> something the walking down the road it's always like the lady in the white dress it's something like yeah. that and it's they like run be it the fuck there over. anyway right if, if it is over. a ghost it's gonna go through the car the best video watching with him though it wasn't a ghost shit it was they were like going up an on-ramp in fucking mexico somewhere or whatever and it was like the hood or whatever and fucking like 65 motherfuckers come up over the fucking You're, cement barriers. Oh, and they're all hitting that dude with sticks. Hit, yeah, and dude, and he's semi. doing fucking five fucking miles yeah, an he's, hour. He's like, so like hit the fucking gas. <laughs> Run them the fuck over. <laughs> 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 hey, by the way, this has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but that fly's fucking dead. Yeah, <laughs> fucking killed there. that fly. That fly's been in here since the last podcast we recorded. Hey, hey, here you go. He could talk about the weird shit. I killed it by clapping. Brent's a uh, fucking weird. Uh, so apparently, flies like they, they, they take go off up. up. And Brent so knows you, this physics you, about him. Really? If you clap above a fly, more than likely you're going to kill it. Damn. I just sit him and watch him in the office with a motherfucker. Just sit, reminds me of Andy Garen back in the day, fucking oh collecting God. flies. <laughs> and just, call, just call me Renfield. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't have the sugar on the fucking... Uh, I've, I've rarely seen him miss, to be no, honest with that's you. That's incredible. Just, Not a terrible movie, by the way. That's incredible. Mm, on Peacock and Nick Cage's plus Dracula and shit. Hmm. It's a good movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, on yeah, Peacock right yeah. now. Not bad. Hey, welcome to the first episode of Beyond the Ordinary. Uh, I'm your host, Ryan Calvis, uh, followed by Clint Calvis. Cousin Clint. Cousin Clint Oh, cousin Clint. Is that like Cousin Eddie? Cousin Eddie. Cousin <laughs> Clint. I hope I'm not on that level. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to start giving wrestling cousin reviews. It. My shitter hasn't been full yet. So. <laughs> Brent Sperry. How's it going? And Rick Horton. What up? Rick or Dick? What do you like to... Rick? Rich. Rick. Motherfucker. I just put Rick and Dick in the same... <laughs> Rich and Dick in the you same do, thing. You do know some people that go by Richard actually do go by Rick. Do they really? Yeah. Well, he didn't, yeah, dispute, Rick, it. He didn't dispute it when he said it either. He didn't. I, you, so I, I'm very specific about my name. It's Papa Richie. Uh, I don't ever introduce myself as Dick. He, he goes by Nighthawk. <laughs> but when I do, like it's to tell something about that person. Like, if I introduce myself as Dick and you're like, <laughs> like, I can't call you that. Sure. I'm never fucking hanging out with you. <laughs> also, you can't just walk up to him and shake his hand in the bar either. You gotta walk up and buy him a shot and offer him $20 and then he'll shake your hand and then after that you have to give him a compliment. 
Also, don't look him directly in the eye. Look at the ground the whole entire time. Whereupon, whereupon, if he likes the compliment that you gave him, then you're allowed to buy him another twenty dollar drink, and then the conversation will go on for maybe another twenty. And then you can tell me about Cowboys football, and (laughs) eventually you will have to wait for the subtle bow, and then you're in the good. And then you're good. There's a lot. There's a delicate dance. To being Dick's uh, friend. I mean, the not, thing is, uh, he's going to be wearing picky, the he's going to be wearing the Dallas Cowboys hat, so you probably shouldn't approach him to begin with. <laughs> yeah, You're like, hey buddy, you got some shit on your hat. <laughs> be honest with you, I'm really excited about the the subject matter of Beyond the Ordinary. Yeah. The uh, me and my dad, uh, we both worked. At, you know, we had to be in Beardstown at fucking six o'clock in the morning or whatever. So uh, it was a big part of like I just. Not even that though. Like all through my char- childhood, we've been Art Bell fans. Like, oh uh, yeah, fourteen seventy yeah. radio in the middle of the fucking night. I love that show. Yep, yep, yep. That's the that's the angle. That's the angle that I want it. That we want to try and get to. Um, we're gonna cover cults, mobsters, serial killers, anything beyond the ordinary. I think beyond the ordinary. Episode one today, we're gonna be talking about uh, probably the most famous mobster of all time. Al Capone. Uh, definitely in this area. He's, yeah, he used to hang out in this town. Yeah, that's that's the rumor anyway. What did you say earlier, Clint? You made a good mention that everybody has a Al Capone story here in town. Yeah, there's yeah. Uh, everyone in town. Always, everyone in town <laughs> thinks that fucking Al, Al, their grandparents took Al Capone hunting in this area. Every <laughs> single motherfucker you talk to around this area is definitely... Their grandparents at one point in time took Al Capone. Well, like, I don't know if I've, I've repeated it so many times that I don't even know if it's true anymore, but... Isn't like the Havana National Bank's like like second or third oldest bank in the nation because it survived the fucking is that depression true? because well, Al Capone had money in it. Well, I could is tell, that true? Well, I, I could tell, so. I could wow. t- I could I could tell you from uh, going up town here downtown looking at buildings from when uh, me and my buddy Nate were trying to do the brewery here in Havana, which fell through right now. Maybe we'll try again in another five ten years once the economy starts reviving, hopefully. Mm-hmm. But Going down in those buildings, like you had, you you could see the part in the wall where they just see they bricked it back up on those, yeah, those tunnels and stuff. Yeah. But underneath, I don't remember, is it the paints? Yeah, Larry's World of Color. The paint store underneath it, you go down the stairs and the the basement's like normal. And then you open another door and it's going to like the third depths of fucking hell. That's what I've always heard mm-hmm. that there's like another like level yeah. underneath the oh, sidewalk. Oh yeah, there's a bunch of shit. tunnels you, you, underneath you, of that. O- you open this door and you go in it and you could tell it was like a gambling parlor. Mm-hmm. And it still has the Speak big easy. it still has the big vault in it that was part of the bank and wow. we we went in there there's still the bank notes from like 1930 really? 40s. Still, really. That's what someone needs to do is open up a Modern speakeasy in the in the tunnels of Havana. That'd be, like that. oh, that'd be so fucking that sweet. But the, but the real scary part is maybe there is one we don't know about. It. You, you go like further <laughs> back in those buildings, and there's just like little. It's uh, who knows what the rich in this town really do, man. I mean, it's like, it's like crawl space holes that you would go through to go to the next part of it, and it's like dark, dank, just. The depths of hell where it's like, I'm not going in that fucking hole. <laughs> so, like, all downtown Peoria is like that, too. I worked at Pier Marquette yeah. and Big Al's downtown or whatever. And like, you get locked in there. No one would find you for days and days and days. So, Al Capone. Years. Uh, Millennia. He is the one that added the... So, there's a service elevator from the presidential suite to the basement that mm-hmm. was a tunnel to Big Al's. And it was a 
speakeasy under there or yeah. whatever. So like like everybody famous stayed at the pier market and could get booze readily available in the presidential suite. That's fucking that's cool <laughs> yeah, as that's shit. Cool. And and like I worked at both buildings, so like I fucking know like I've been all up in it. We had but, a Christmas party at uh the corner bar and uh, I think it was Jay Breeze at the time. But so anyway, three o'clock the board, a little drunk, decided to go fucking to the basement and start walking through tunnels and shit and like there were like freezers that like you could tell the like inside handle had been like busted off with like a chair sitting in the corner <laughs> and it's like oh you think somebody got fucking beat to fucking death in someone, this room someone, they had an interview in that <laughs> right. what they did. Uh, there was um, um, Slim's mom's house used to be a whorehouse mm-hmm. here in town mm. um, people were like it's a brothel um, brothel, brothel. It's kind of like your word, bougie. Um, down, down Matanza Beach, there's a beach house. It's a beach house now, but it's still standing. It used to be um, a gambling house. And then there, it got torn down now, but there was an actual old gambling house that was still standing on the beach down there for quite a while. I mean, Havana was huge it for was. gambling, It was. Right? Little Reno is what they used to call yeah. it. From yeah. Quint, didn't your grandpa dealt cards and shit? Yeah. Quint, my, uh, Quint, Quincy was a big area. Too. Yeah. Like, like the river. They used town. to have the boat. The Illinois River. Chicago. Towns. Down this way. And then people would stop in a van. People get on, like, going down by Missouri and shit, and then they come all the way back up yeah. and stop. Which people get off. They stop in Peoria. Stop in Chicago. Basically, a bunch of made it. Which my stops. Uh, my grandpa would get on that boat. My grandpa Peck, when he was younger, and he would go down and he would de- deal cards. No That's, shit. Uh, he made money doing that shit. That's fucking crazy. Shit. Yeah, my uh, my grandma, which she's gone now, but I've seen the papers and stuff, and she's always told the stories to us. And when we, my mom actually showed them to me after she passed, and. She used to hang out in Quincy all the time because that's where her oldest sister lived, and she would go down there as a teenager and go to the clubs and party and all that. And she actually saw a hit on an actual mob hit, and <laughs> she was a witness. We we have the papers and all that shit, and the way that like if something happened to her, there were people that were gonna go away. <laughs> as part of this deal, <laughs> my, uh, that was tied to the Chicago mom. R.I.P. Grandma. My mom's mom, um, when she was still alive, told me um, stories about when she was a little girl that um, you know there used to be dead bodies on Main Street. Yeah, yeah fucking people, people getting killed on Main Street, Havana, all the time. People get popped in their car because they owed money or whatever, and they'd shoot them, leave them dead in their car on, on Main Street. That's what happened um, in Quincy. Yeah. There used to be a shoe store uptown a long, long, long time ago, and I don't know what year it was, <clears throat> but my grandma was young. She was probably 12 or 13, and... This is more than the only story she ever told me about stuff sp- specifically happening here in town. But there was somebody that was did something to the mob up in Chicago, and then they came down here and were half-assed trying to hide out. Um, and they found him down here, and they tracked him all the way uptown, and they had him hit out in the shoe store uptown, and they waited for them to come out. And at the time, cops were on the take. So the cops were nowhere to be found. And we're talking about Main Street in Havana. No, it hasn't changed. I mean, maybe the bricks a little bit. They ain't got yeah. stoplights no more. There's not a railroad track going through the fucking down by IGA, I guess, or Dollar General. Um, but so they had this guy in the shoe store, and her and her friend were going, happened to be walking downtown, and they were stopped by a man, and he told them they were not allowed on Main Street. Um, you know, they're trying to figure out why and stuff. And um, she said, you know, we kind of went out and around and went to another area where they could kind of see what was going on, but they were far enough away, and there was a lot of men posted with guns up on Main Street, and eventually the guy come out of the shoe store, and they fucking gunned his ass down right there in Main Street. Ruthless. Ruthless. 
Man, I'll tell you, this is um, I don't know a if good connects segue. To Al Capone, but it's well, probably Chicago Mob. It probably had something to do Chicago with Chicago Mob. It was probably Capone in that in the, that time frame. So, well, let's get into it. So, Alfonso Gabriel Capone, known to the world as Al Capone, was born on January seventeenth, eighteen ninety nine, in Brooklyn. Uh, the son of Italian immigrants, Capone was one of nine children in a family that sought the American dream in a new land. His parents, Gabriel and Teresina Capone, were hardworking and law-abiding people who hoped for a better life for their children. However, the environment in which young Al grew up was far from ideal. Brooklyn, was at the, at the turn of the century, was a place of stark contrasts. On one hand, it was a bustling borough full of opportunities. On the other, it was a breeding ground for crime and corruption. And the street, gang, street gangs ruled the roost. It was in this milieu, this background, that Capone spent his formative years. Um, Capone's education was pretty limited. He was dropped out of school at the age of 14 after striking a teacher. And soon afterwards, he joined a street gang led by Johnny Torrio, a man who would play a significant role in Capone's life later on. Torrio, a shrewd and calculating mobster, saw potential in young Capone and took him under his wing. Uh, under Torrio's tutelage, Capone learned the ropes of the underworld, honing the skills that would serve him well in the years to come. Uh, in 1918, Capone married May Coughlin. The, the couple had a son, Albert Francis Capone, known as Sonny. Sonny lived a relatively quiet life and distanced himself from his father's criminal legacy, as he, and he passed away in 2004, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. Sure, um, he lived to be 90 years old. Yeah. In uh, the show uh, Boardwalk Empire, they depict his son as deaf. I'm not sure if that's, ha- if that's re- true, or true or not. Um, thing is, when you're talking about the boroughs and gangs in New York in that time period, what have been the Irish and the Italians? We talk about the Five Point Gang too, as well. Oh, like, really? the, yeah, a lot. Of, there's a connection there uh, between, well, the Five Points Gang and the, the gangs of New York. The, the film. gangs from New York, yeah. Yeah. Um, so the uh, so yeah. Um, Cause shit, my family belongs to the Irish side. <laughs> <laughs> we 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 came over about that time. Okay, Sonny's partially deaf. Well, is he partially deaf? The show Boardwalk Empire. They have him fully deaf. Mm. Despite well, yeah, it, makes, it makes for better TV. Come on, sure. yeah. Despite his criminal activities, Capone was a devoted family man, and he was known to be a loving husband and a doting father. A side of him that was a stark contrast to his public persona. Probably the most the most r- most ruthless mobster, at least in that era, I would assume. And it pretty well changed the game as far as... Um, well, I mean, he had a leg up. Alcohol became illegal. Right, right, <laughs> right. And thing, that's, that's thing, where it really is, though, off. When you, when you think about Chicago, mobster, time, that time period, Great Depression, all that, don't you have Capone and you have Dillinger and you had Babyface Nelson? Like, the Midwest was big. Yeah, we had a lot of the like, good ones. They killed Bo- them all, so that's why we Bonnie, ain't got the good ones no more. Bonnie and Clyde were in the Midwest, and for the most part, well, right here in this area it was very country, so it wasn't a lot of cities. That's where you go to get away with shit. And also yeah. back well, then, shit, um, shit, yeah. I was, I, there was, I, well, I was gonna say if you went back forty years, forty to sixty years before that, you had Billy the Kid and all that. <laughs> well, and Jesse James, at, and at that time, this area wasn't as. Um, um, domesticated as what the big cities were, like Chicago and New York, and a big deal with what a lot of a way the people were able to get away with a lot of crimes around here is there's no such thing as the state cops, um, and cops at that time once they reached a county line were not allowed to go any farther than beyond that county line. Whether they were chasing somebody or not, they had to fucking stop. So if someone reached a county line, you're 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 free. 
that's, you know what I mean? That's so why, boot, that's why bootlegging was great during bootlegging and prohibition. robbing banks, stores, things like that. If you had a fast enough car to get away, that's why Bonnie and Clyde got away so much. I can tell you right. I can tell you right now. If I know what I knew now, and I lived in that depression area. <laughs> I would be a bootlegger. I know how to make beer. I know how to run shit. <laughs> I would have been fucking millionaire too. This motherfucker. We be might your be Polly talking Walnuts talking about Brooks Ferry <laughs> in a different timeline. That's <laughs> right. I have me a lawnmower in the back of my trunk. I hit somebody over the head with an, an implement. Hey, Brett. <laughs> Just let you know, I'm useful in depression era prohibition. I'm useful in fucking zombie apocalypse. I know how to use. Nope. I know how to make beer. I'd make them pay Brent, and then I'd make them fucking add. A little bit on the principle, so that way I got paid, too. You got to make sure you get your cut, right? That's what they get for fucking around. Capone was the fourth of nine children. His siblings were Venencio, Rafael, Salvatore, Ermina, John, Albert, Matthew, and Rhodes. Uh, the so Capone one family. Of, so one of his brothers was a Ninja Turtle? That's correct. He was nice. a Ninja Turtle brother. <laughs> I thought uh, he had a brother named Ralph. But wasn't that his like lieutenant? Raphael. Raphael, Raphael yeah. <laughs> He's the fucking Red Turtle. Yep. I'm pretty sure he was like his lieutenant. Like I think he was actually the ruthless one. Yeah. <laughs> the Capone family was a typical hardworking and law-abiding immigrant family striving to make a better life in their new homeland. However, young Al was drawn to the street life and was prevalent in many parts of Brooklyn. Um, he became involved with the small-time gangs in his neighborhood, including the Junior Forty Thieves and the Bowery Boys. From <laughs> well, in the portrayal of the Bowery Boys in the film Gangs of New York was not directly linked to any specific involvement of Al, but he was involved in that gang prior to, I guess, that. So he became a member of the Five Points Gang, where he met his mentor, Johnny Torrio, which we previously mentioned. Um, The... uh, uh, What exactly did the Five Points do? Five Points Gang? Um, Well, I guess they were... I'm not really sure, to be quite honest. I, I I don't have a whole lot of research on the Five Points Gang. They um, it has sounded it has sounded interesting. Well, the fi- it, from my understanding, I got you. Well, I don't know. What do you got? <clears throat> the Five Points Gang was a notorious street gang that operated in the Five Points neighborhood of Manhattan, New York City, during the late 19th and early 20th century. The gang's name originated from the notorious intersection of five streets: Anthony Street, now Worth Street; Orange Street, now Baxter Street; Cross Street, now Moscow Street. Little Water Street, now the northern section of Park Row, and Mulberry Street. This area was known for its high crime rates and poverty. The Five Points Gang was involved in various criminal activities, including theft, robbery, extortion, illegal gambling, and protection rackets. They controlled a significant part of the criminal underworld in New York City during their peak years. One of the most infamous members of the Five Points Gang was Alfonso Al Capone, who later became a prominent figure in organized crime and the leader of the Chicago outfit during the Prohibition era. Crazy stuff. And that I never, I mean, prior to doing this, I never even considered that. Um, and then finding that out, I was like, wow, that's kind of a cool tie-in. All I know is if uh, you could do the whole time machine thing and I could go back to Prohibition, the Sperrys would be <laughs> loaded. <laughs> <laughs> so after um, he married his wife and had the ch- have his child, um, in 1919, things took a pretty big turn for Al when Johnny Torrio moved Chicago. And he invited Al to come and join him. And Capone, seeing the opportunity for See, advancement. Never, so there's a story yeah. in there. Yeah. Like, no one ever talks about how Al Capone got to, like, why did Johnny Tory come to Chicago? Mm-hmm. Why did the whole fucking gang just move? Like, that shit never made any sense to me. I'm not sure. I think um, uh, 
booze and shit. I mean, I no, guess like no the one white. Wasn't, no one was really in. But you couldn't sell Chicago. that in New York, where you've been your whole fucking life. I like, think I think New York wanted them out. Yeah, but that that's like spreading the network. Also, did you so. um? Did you have to talk about? Maybe you haven't made it there yet. Talk about how he got a scar on his face. No, I haven't got to that point yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, go ahead. What 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 have you got? Oh, when, when he, did he have? When did he get the scar? Um, let's see. I can look that up. So I can specifically here. So right he was working at a bar. I do know that, and he insulted. I believe. In that, uh, let's see. I don't want to go all the way back to that. I just want to know when he got the scar. He got a knife attack in his youth. He uh, insulted somebody's sister at a bar. Um, and the man slashed his face. I didn't catch that in the in the research, unfortunately. Mm, let's see. How did Al Capone get his famous scars? Scarface. The man. So, why, yeah, why move the outfit from New York in the Five Points to Chicago? It's never made any sense to me. Like, I don't know. Maybe, I mean, we can only speculate on it, right, I guess? Like, that's the whole thing about the mom or whatever. It's fucking money, you know, it, there's a long history of it, and that's why it like continues to this day or whatever. Is because these networks have been set up for fucking ever. Why just up why and not move to Chicago? It? Right? Why up and move to Chicago? I don't know. Maybe they saw. Maybe it was a, a, a open area. You know what I'm right. saying? It wasn't really covered. I guess to the extent that the five points had. I don't know exactly. Um, and I'm sure everyone who's listening and probably knows more about it, Al Capone, is telling <laughs> us. Screaming at the radio right now. Right now, you fucking idiots. I thought you knew Bunch something about Bunch of fucking this. idiots. You guys don't know shit. Well, hey. Hey. No. Correctly, it's you don't know shit about fuck my man. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude. Hold on. Clint. I got so, this. Check this out. Al Capone got a scar, which earned him the nickname Scarface, as a result of a fight that occurred in 1917. The 17. incident took place at the Harvard Inn, a bar and brothel in Brooklyn, New York. During an argument at the bar, Capone insulted a woman named Lena Galicio, who was the sister of a local mobster named Frank Galicio. In response to Capone's disrespect, Frank Galicio attacked him with a knife, slashing him across the left side of his face. The injury left a noticeable and permanent scar on Capone's cheek. This event significantly impacted Capone's life and played a part in shaping his reputation as a tough and dangerous figure. The scar became a recognizable feature, further fueling his fearsome ag- image in the criminal underworld during his rise to power as a gangster. You know how I oh, got okay. these scars? So <laughs> he, he only reason he went to New York was because Torrio just wanted him to wanted him specifically just to be his right hand. That's why Al Capone went to New York. To Chicago. Chicago. Yeah. Or, yeah, or New York to Chicago, yeah, because Torrio But just why did wanted Torrio go? Because Jim Colosimo, Colosimo needed an enforcer for his mobsters and he That's was he was taking a beating during prohibition and uh fucking Johnny Torrio is from Italy like off the boat straight up Italian so get get the the closest to home and uh hmm. i believe Colosimo was barely he don't he didn't barely speak a lot of english either so he wanted people he could trust around him that he speak and then Al Capone was a street guy so well that's true cuz now now that you mention all that it does i did actually re- yeah, because it's. So I do know some of it has to do with drugs, um, which will probably come up a little bit later. Mm-hmm. I, I know. Well, I'll just wait for him to start talking so about Cosimo. Yeah. I'm getting ahead of everything. Yeah. So, uh, 1919, Capone moved to Chicago at the invitation of Johnny Torrio, uh, marking the beginning of his ascent to the sh- in the Chicago underworld. Um, this coincided with the onset of the Prohibition era, a time when the sale, produ- production, and transportation of alcoholic beverages was banned. Um, this ban intended to curb curb alcoholism and associated societal issues ironically led to an unprecedented surge in organized crime. It's a very, very sad time in American history. It was a sad time. 
Uh, the demand for alcohol did not decline. Instead, it went underground, creating a lucrative black market that gangsters like Capone were quick to exploit. Bootlegging. In Chicago, Capone started working for James Big Jim Colosimo, uh, Torrio's uncle, who ran a string of brothels. However, when the prohibition came into effect, Torrio recognized the immense profit potential in bootlegging it and urged Colosimo to uh, enter the business. Colosimo, content with his current operations, refused. Good with the horse. In May 1920, <laughs> <laughs> we're good with these whores. We got a horse. We don't we need don't, nothing else. We don't hey, need to worry hey, about nothing else. We got whores and cigars. You also got to remember about bootlegging. Gave you a great song called Copperhead Road. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My name's Johnny Petty Moore. In 1920, Colosimo was assassinated, a crime often attributed to Torrio and Capone, though it was never proven. Murder Inc. is who they hired to do it. With Colosimo out of the way, Torrio took over and expanded the operations into bootlegging. You know who Murder Inc. was? A bunch of Jewish hitmen for the mob. Oh, yeah. They weren't allowed to be in the mob, but they were allowed to kill people for the mob. Probably made good money doing that. That would be a neat something for us to talk about later is Murder Inc. They killed probably almost a thousand people. Put it on the put it on the docket, my friend. We'll, we'll talk about and it. Then eventually you had Kevin Costner show up, and he just took them all the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> That's just I, a little dramatized, too. Yeah. <laughs> I fucking love Untouchables. They send more of yours to the hospital. You send more of theirs to the morgue. <laughs> Come on, man. You know how many great movies Kevin Costner's been in? <laughs> Besides Al- Waterworld. Robert De Niro is the best capi- uh, depiction of a biography, biograph- whatever character in that movie, like a real character in that movie. Mm-hmm. I think his Al Capone depiction was pretty close. Capone proved to be an invaluable asset to Torrio, managing and expanding the alcohol business with ruthless efficiency. He also helped run other illegal activities, such as gambling and prostitution. Oh, yeah. Capone's reputation grew, and so did his influence. He was known for his dual nature, charming and generous one moment, and brutal and violent the next. This combination of charisma and violence. Um, it's also good when you have Mayor Daly in your pocket. <laughs> yeah, right. and the cops and everyone else. Well, I mean, Al Capone's the one that started fucking shitty Illinois politics, and right? I, and he, I, you know, <laughs> well, he had a big hand in, in yeah, uh, especially the police. I and think, we're there a hundred years later. That's right. Uh, in '25, Torrio was severely injured in an assassination attempt and decided to retire. That was maybe Al Capone, maybe not. Yeah. Was it a well? Was it a leave the gun, take the cannoli? I mean, I think, it was a, I think it was a fucking, you're going to give up or I'm going to keep shooting you until you die. Yeah. Handing heat, well, handing control over the business to Capone. In 1926, Torrio decided to retire and handed, oh, I just, anyway. This transition was largely amicable and with Torrio recognizing Capone's leadership potential and ability to navigate the increasingly complex criminal landscape. So, right, it is speculative. It is, did uh, Capone do it? At the or? time, they were having problems with the flower shop guy. I can't think of what we're, his fucking name is. Uh, we're going we're gonna to make a quick uh, Star Wars reference. It's the rule of two. To be the Lord, you got to kill the Lord. <laughs> it's, it's, the, it's the rule of the Sith. It seems to be, yeah. Um, so, after Torrio stepped down, he relocated to Italy for a brief period, seeking quieter, more peaceful life away from the criminal underworld. However, he eventually returned to the United States and remained involved in various legitimate business ventures, focusing on real estate and other investments. Dino Banyan is uh, a guy they were having turf problems with at the time uh, that Johnny Torrio got shot in the face. But also at the time, there was a, a, a like a rift between Johnny Torrio and Al Capone because Al Capone was at the point where it was like he was big enough that he needed to take over type of shit. And Johnny Torrio was old and like just kind of on his way out. But in the meantime, got shot in the face. 
So it could have been Dino Banyan, it could have been Al Capone, you know, it's never said, but then he was basically, he was like, I give up, you can, it's your time for you to be in charge. It's kind of like when Tony lets his uncle take the reins, (laughs) but not really. I guess, yeah, maybe no, because I think Johnny Torrio was like like actually retired from the mob, and they don't let a lot of people do that. And he's one of I think him and Meyer Lansky, and um, there's like only maybe four or five guys that have actually retired, retired from retired. the mob and not like died because of it or went to jail. That's because there's only one way out, and most of the time it's in a box. Yeah, yeah. So now at the helm of the Chicago outfit. Capone expanded the operations, growing the organization into a multi-million dollar empire of crime. <clears throat> he was at the peak of his power, controlling a vast network of breweries, distilleries, speakeasies, and a formidable crew of mobsters and politicians to protect his interests. Some tales of violence? I've got some. If I was alive during that time period, Dive Bomb Brewing Company would have been part of Capone. <laughs> You might have been pushed out. Who knows if Capone? I mean, if this is the same you timeline, to pay an Capone for protection. Yeah, I would yeah. have brewed for him. <laughs> no, no, you'd have paid an allowance for protection. <laughs> well, no shit. Protection from what? You know, all these vagrants around here. Uh-huh. What vagrants? No. I ain't had a one. I would have brewed. I would have. <laughs> then they would have ripped your bar apart and be like, "See all these vagrants See all these in here? Va- <laughs> what, what you got to get us for your protection." <laughs> exactly. I'd be like, "Well, what, what do you want me to brew for you? I know how to distill. I know how to make wine. I know how to make beer. Come on." So, talking about political violence, the pineapple primaries is where we talk about the political violence here. What the fuck? In the 1920s, yeah, political corruption played a significant role in the criminal underworld of Chicago. Um, During the mayoral election in 1927, Capone wanted to ensure his preferred candidate, William Hale Thompson, would win. So, to intimidate voters and secure Thompson's victory, Capone's associated, uh, excuse me, Capone's associates strategically placed hand grenades, known as pineapples, at polling stations in rival territories. The threat of violence sent a clear message to opposition supporters, resulting in Thompson's clear election. Jesus <laughs> Christ. I, I love it how Holy I love fuck. how streets for us will blow the fuck up. Yeah. I love it how streets and buildings are named after Thompson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, isn't that crazy? It's a city, Capone. It's a city built on blood, I, I, man. I, I guess da- I made the comment about Daly in the pocket earlier. I guess Daly would have been a couple Decades later. Yeah, well. Uh, so consolidating racketeering uh, under Capone's rule, the outfit expanded its influence by forcefully taking control of various criminal rackets. One notable example was a takeover of the city's lucrative bootlegging operations during the Prohibition era, like we talked about. Capone orchestrated violent raids on rival gangs' breweries and distilleries, destroying their facilities and seizing their alcohol Jeez, stocks. Just fucking them. This ruthless approach solidified Capone's dominance in the illicit alcohol trade and established him as a powerful figure in Chicago. So was Moran part of that? Like, was that the, I mean, we haven't got to the St. Valentine's Day. Hey, not, yet. Hey, not yet. Just, but yeah. just to let you know, I would have been yeah, with but, Capone because I've seen Breaking Bad. You just got to make the product <laughs> for him. People like Bugs Moran and Dino O'Banion and, 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 uh, and Bugs Moran and people like that were already somewhat established mobsters in Chicago. But By the time that Capone got there? There wasn't nobody running Chicago. There wasn't a boss. There was just yeah. different sects of mobsters everywhere. And then Al Capone came in started taking turf. And it was like, you're either with us or you're against us. You know what I'm saying? NWL. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of which, right. And the motherfuckers that weren't down got fucking pineapple grenades in their fucking <laughs> booths. And their voting booths. Shot up driving down the fucking street, disappeared, never made it home. Everything. On February 14, 1929, at 2122 North Clark Street in Lincoln Park, Chicago, 
The event known as the St. Valentine's Day Massacre was a brutal reminder of the violent power struggle between the gangs in Chicago. The day started like any other, but by late morning, the quiet was shattered by the deafening sound of gunfire. Seven men, all members of the Chicago Northside gang, were lined up against the wall inside of a garage. The men were Frank and Pete Goonsberg, James Clark, Adam Heyer, Heyer uh, Al Weinshank, and Reinhardt Schwimmer. They were expecting a shipment of stolen illegal whiskey. Instead, they found themselves staring down the barrels of two Tommy guns. They were all dressed as cops, well, right? Well, Bugs Moran was supposedly supposed to be there that day, too, and one of the guys wore a derby hat, just like Bugs Moran's hat, and that's why the this bet. took place, because they thought the he was The bad part is, if it started like any other February 14th, it's wine and dine, chocolates <laughs> and wine, trying so, to get laid later. Whichever one of those... <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day. Whichever one of those guys' his wife got him a hat so he'd look just like fucking Bugs Moran, <laughs> or his hat to work that day, like, guys, look, I look just like the boss. Right. I got this new... <laughs> Maybe I can be the boss someday. <laughs> oh, so the execution was swift and brutal. Two men dressed as policemen had entered the garage, and the gang members, assuming this was a routine police raid, complied and lined up against the wall. The uniformed men opened fire with their Tommy guns, killing all seven gang members in a hail of bullets. That's fucking ruthless, man. Like, you're going to be like, ah, oh, fuck, we're busted. Get up against the wall, blah, blah, and just fucking killed. Like, that's some next level shit. Well, this is kind of the first time that something like that had ha- had happened to that extent, right? You I ever, mean, you ever had well, fun with they, a, you ever have fun with the Thompson? <laughs> they 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 had at least left the bodies for anyone to find anyway. Sure. Not saying that hadn't happened in a field someplace before. Sure, sure, yeah. Oh yeah, I mean it was a fucking slaughterhouse right on the front page, right? Right, and they yeah. just left it. They did it in the center of town the, instead of taking ba- somebody. The out bad the part door. is though, the fucking lawmen that gunned down like Bonnie and Clyde and all them too. They just fucking. Exactly what they were doing, right they're, into the fucking vehicle. They're probably lucky. And then sh- right after that, we're going to take pictures of them. They're dead. That's right. see they're it? probably lucky they didn't shoot each other for shooting across the road at each other when the people drove through. But Friend, friendly fu- story friendly fire. Another day. Uh, so the massacre was believed to be the work of the Southside Italian gang, led by the infamous Al Capone, right? Although this was never proven, Capone's... say nobody was ever charged for jack shit, right? No. The, the Southsiders are the White Sox. Where'd I go? I just lost my spot. I hate that. Anyway, Capone's main rival was George Bugs Moran, the leader of the Northside gang. Uh, Moran was supposed to be in the garage that day, but he had arrived late and saw the police car outside. Suspecting a raid, he decided not to go in, a decision that later saved his life. Imagine he walked in and them guys were just letting them motherfuckers have it with machine guns, and he's just been like, uh, well, I gotta go, guys. See ya. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I mean, to do today. That, that effectively shut him down, huh? No, I mean, I'm sure it sent him to the mattresses, <laughs> but I don't think it shut him down. I mean, I, he's only killed seven of his guys. I'm not sure. He might have at that point been Just like, been fucking terrified? I'm good. We can be friends now or whatever. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. That's, that'd be, no one, no one ever asked what happened to Bugs Moran that I know of. Hmm. You can find out, wow. though. <laughs> On May 7th, 1929, at the Hawthorne Inn in Cicero, Illinois, the the infamous baseball bat dinner. A suburb of Chicago, the Hawthorne Inn, was a popular hangout for the Chicago outfit. Died on February 25th, 1957. Bugs? Yeah, Bugs Moran. I think it's this weird. Lived a long run. February 25th. 27? Day before my birthday. 1957. 1957. Okay, yeah. So, uh, the Chicago outfit hung out at the Hawthorne Inn in Cicero, uh, Capone's criminal organization. And, and it was here that Capone decided to host a dinner for his men. Along with the attendees were three men, Albert Anselmi, John Scalise, and Joseph Guinta. Uh, these men were not just... These men... 
were not just any members of the outfit. They were high-ranking enforcers who had proven their loyalty time and time again, or so it seemed. Good old capos. So Bugs Moran uh, was arrested for robbery and conspiracy to counterfeit checks and cash and $62,000 worth of American Express checks. You realize the easiest way to get... Sorry. But the easiest way to get any of those guys ever is just tax evasion, exactly what they're talking about. Uh, He was given 10 to 20 years in Ohio Penitentiary. Or no, I'm sorry, uh, Leavenworth. And then um, 10 years into his sentence, he died of fucking lung cancer. Damn. I'm sorry, not 10 years, a few months into his 10-year sentence, he died of lung cancer. Damn. So he didn't even see prison very long before he died. Mm-hmm. Good for him. So he was right. in prison three times before he was 21. So, as the story goes, Capone had recently discovered that these three men were planning to betray him. They had allegedly been conspiring with a rival gang, and it had been suggested that they were conspiring to align themselves with bugs to overthrow Capone and take control of his criminal empire. Upon learning of this treachery, decided to, Capone decided to deal with the traitors in his own brutal way. Dinner started. Capone was playing the gracious host. The men ate, drank, and reveled, and unaware of the grim fate that awaited them. Once the meal was over, the tone of the evening changed dramatically. Capone, in a calculated display of fury, accused the three men of their betrayal. And Before they could react, Capone picked up a baseball bat that he had kept nearby in a fit of rage, he proceeded, proceeded to beat Anselmi, Scalise, and Juinta one by one in front of the stunned attendees. The room <laughs> fell silent, save for the sickening thuds of the bat and the men's cries of agony. Please tell me it was wrapped in fucking barbed wire. Mm. <laughs> That's when he's uh, uh, in uh, <clears throat> the movie screaming, I want him dead, I want his whole walk, family dead, I want to go walk, to the house in the middle walk, of the night and piss on its ashes. <laughs> wa- wa- walking dead stuff. What's the, what's the name of that? Lucille. Lucille. Oh, Negan's yeah, yeah, bat, yeah. Yeah. When Capone was done, and Selmy, Cac- Scalise, and Juenta Wade laid lifeless Cac- on the floor. Cactus Jack fucking style. <laughs> the message was clear. Betrayal would not be tolerated, and the remaining gang members would only look could only look on in horror, and the image of their slain yeah, comrades had the stark reminder of Capone's ruthlessness. <laughs> yeah, what are you going to do? Also, remember about a baseball bat, I got to do it real quick. It's like in South Park, whenever they do the TPing episode, and Cartman thinks that Kyle turns on him, and he takes him out in the middle of Stark's Pond or whatever. All right, Kyle. And he pulls out the wiffle ball bat. <laughs> Anytime now, Kyle. Anytime now. <laughs> I know what was going through Al Capone's head whenever he hear an easy ease bash his head in with my Louisville slugger. Yeah, yeah. Fucking 80 years Carbon, too. What, <laughs> Carbon, what the hell are you doing? I, I, I spent the rest of my allowance this week, so all I got is this wiffle ball bat. But anytime now, Kyle. <laughs> just imagine, like we're sitting here at this table, and fucking Brent just gets up and just bashes fucking Clint's head in with fucking oh, baseball bat or something. What the fuck, me and Ryan gonna sit here and do? Like, yes, be, Brent, be afraid. <laughs> yeah, what yes, the, sir. What the fuck did Clint do to piss me off? I, well, I don't know. Make like, sure you make your payment on time. I'd say they were <laughs> right. <laughs> they were obvious. Right. Yeah, I mean, they had uh, no fucking clue. They in, came to the motherfuckers' house to eat dinner. In the uh, speaking of that, though, movie, I got a motherfucker that owes me money that I need to go visit with a baseball guy. <laughs> <laughs> I think in the movie, in the Untouchables movie, they make it kind of sound like the the dude that got his head bashed in was kind of a loudmouth, didn't give a fuck what Capone was saying. Kind was of it just one guy? Kind of did three. his own thing. It was three in motherfuckers. The, in the movie, it's oh. just one dude. He bashes his head at the table, but in real life, he got a little more excited and took out three cats. Yeah, fuck. Usually movies like dramatize things up for effect or whatever. They had to well, tone this motherfucker down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this was a Kevin Costner movie, but it's not a fucking... It wasn't a couple... Yeah, I guess. It wasn't Scarface. Know. 
While part of Capone's legend is shrouded in mystery and speculation, there's no official records to confirm this. Over the it's years, they disappeared the bodies. Yeah, and it's taken on his life of his own, becoming yet another symbol of Capone's brutal reign in the Prohibition era. Yeah, you only got to do a couple of those things, then motherfuckers start talking themselves. Shoes. Talking you. Yeah. Imagine how many pairs of cement shoes got let out in that era? I don't know, man, but Probably like the actual <laughs> reality of it's way less than like the people just be like, man, that motherfucker just bashed these people's heads with a fucking baseball, buddy. Do do you the same, buddy? It's I'm probably crossing. one dude, and they uh, dramatize it through some. You know how to, <laughs> by the time someone makes it back to their state in New York, and ten people heard it, it's well, like how does he? Uh, s- he smashed fourteen men's heads in at that fucking dinner. <laughs> how do you not have him on murder? For that, like, why is it the easiest way to get him for tax evasion? Well, if no he's one's beat a motherfucker to death at the fucking kitchen table. Gotta have witnesses in the body. Yeah, I fucking yeah. guess. I guess so, right? And I mean, a bat. the bat was sitting right the fuck. You know, the outfit, the Chicago outfit, was structured like a business. With Capone at the helm as CEO, he had a board of directors and a chain of command that ensured smooth operations. His empire included breweries, distilleries, and transportation networks. Brisbury Brewmaster. In numerous speakeasies where the alcohol was sold, he also had a team of lawyers to handle legal issues with a squad of brutal enforcers to deal with his rivals. So and He should have just got a real job and had some money on the books, and he probably not that went to prison. Guy, he well. fucking should have just went to go work for Anheuser. Like he was playing, paying his taxes. And <laughs> you're in Chicago. <laughs> could have been like Kennedy and moved to Canada. You, you're literally an hour and a half from Milwaukee, where there's Pabst and Miller and <laughs> fucking Ken- Kennedy Schlitz. moved to Canada and then sold liquor across the uh, border. Pabst is in Peoria, then. <laughs> no, it was, it was still in. Joe, Joe Peoria Kennedy? Heights, it moved in 1985, man. Did it? That's who. Um, it, well, they're still Schlitz. <laughs> if you um, if you watch the Untouchables and you see they go to Canada to get alcohol to bring back Chicago, yeah, yeah, Joe right. Kennedy would be who they would have been getting that alcohol from. Yeah, <laughs> he was a bootlegging from Canada to America, so That's he didn't funny. get in trouble because he, yep. you know, he didn't live in America. And then his kids became fucking some of the greatest Americans of all time, uh, with help from the mob. I think. Yeah, yeah. D- I think they Dick got almost got smoked by a car in the spot where his son got smoked by a bullet. I think they got help. <laughs> I think they got helped in by the mob, and I think they got helped out by the mob. If you catch my drift. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the investigation into Capone's finances, which ultimately led to his downfall, a meticulous and groundbreaking endeavor by the U.S. Treasury Department uh, and agent Frank J. Wilson. Uh, Wilson, a specialist in forensic accounting, spent over two years tracing Capone's incomes and expenses. The task was daunting, and Capone had never filed, as Capone had never filed a tax return, conducted most of his business dealings with cash. Yeah, when it goes under the table, there's not a W-2 normally. no W-2s <laughs> in, the, in the mob. 9-9? Nine, nine, I don't know. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> Are these independent contractors? <laughs> What's up? You turned in your 1099, right? I know yeah, Frank Wilson was the accountant or whatever, but fucking he was at the he was put to work by fucking what's Kevin Costner's character? Fucking what's his name? Uh, uh, we we should all know that he's literally one of the fucking yeah. Elliot Ness. Yeah, yeah Elliot, Elliot Ness. Despite the challenges, Wilson and his team managed to unearth crucial evidence. Which is also sorry. One, it's also actually funny because the boat that fucking sank in the Great Lakes is the Elliot Ness. <laughs> like like the boat like the most infamous sinking of a boat in the Great Lakes is the Elliot Ness and there's like beer companies the name like oh, Great yeah. Lakes Brewing Company's main beer is called Elliot Ness. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Excuse me. Despite these challenges, Wilson and his team managed to unearth crucial evidence. 
They discovered ledgers from gambling houses owned by Capone, lists of his various expenditures and testimonies from those who had been paid by him. Among these pieces of evidence was a letter from Capone's lawyer, which admitted to income received. In 1931, the trial began. Capone was charged with 22 counts of tax evasion. The prosecution built its case on the evidence gathered by Wilson and his team. Uh, his lawyers argued that the money earned from illegal activities such as gambling and bootlegging was not considered income under the tax laws of the time. They also <laughs> attempted to challenge the credibility of the government's witnesses and evidence. The defense pointed out that the defense also pointed out inconsistencies and attempted to create doubt that the reliability of the evidence presented by the prosecution. You got to remember, like if you play fantasy football and shit, and you got to pay through PayPal and all that to your friends, and you send your league fees, friends and family. You don't say it's for league fees and gambling. Come on now. <laughs> I almost, uh, I got in trouble at TA fucking trying to do a fantasy team or whatever. We don't need to yeah. be like admitting to any <laughs> crime. tax crimes you're doing. This is 14 years ago. <laughs> I, I, don't, I, don't know the fuck you're, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. That thing said uh, Airbnb. <laughs> he says it's 14. I, he says 14 years ago, here a minute, we'll go outside and a tax man will show up out of nowhere. <laughs> I heard what you said, sir. <laughs> it's not even out for anyone. To yeah, I owed, here I owed Chris $25 that I forgot to pay him for fucking the Airbnb in Kansas City for the draft <laughs> with, the good, <laughs> with the good old Raj. Capone's defense faced a significant challenge as he was widely known to be a major figure in the Chicago underworld. Uh, his lavish lifestyle, which included expensive homes and luxury cars, was well-documented and difficult to explain without a substantial income. The jury, however, was not swayed by the defense's arguments. Uh, they found Capone guilty of several counts of tax evasion, and the judge sent him to 11 years in prison, fined him $50,000, and charged him $7,692 for court costs, held him liable for $215,000 plus interest due to his back taxes. You went probably, to a you, weird-ass you, you, prison you, in you India. Realize he probably like paid for that, no problem, too. You, you realize, like, today, it, like NFL players, if they miss a day at training camp, is $50,000. Which isn't a lot to them now, but back then is the equivalent. Fifty grand still a lot to me. Still a lot. That's because <laughs> that's that's what half of us in this room make in a year. Yeah, no <laughs> shit, right? The case against Capone set a precedence for prosecuting criminals for tax evasion. That was one of the first times they'd done that, right? Objectively speaking, it stands as a significant victory for the U.S. government and leading to the strengthening yeah, of the where, IRS. Is that where Rico came from? Uh, well, yeah, uh, racketeering and criminal organizations. Yeah, yeah. You, you also got to remember, like when it happened to like Willie Nelson, you, you got to ship your guitar off so they don't repo it to <laughs> your, your, to your family. Be like, oh no, no, no they own that. That's not me. No, it's not mine. <laughs> yeah. Capone was sentenced to eleven years in federal prison and thirty-one for tax evasion. Right. So oh, he was he, only thirty-one years old when he went down. But huh? he had syphilis so fucking bad it turned him into a wildcat. Why? Well, I don't. That's what don't happens. Have, that's what happens then, when though. you're a oh, yeah. fucking sex fiend. He had, he it, had he it. He wouldn't go to the doctor to get it treated because he was too proud. And if anybody told him there was something wrong with him, he kicked the shit out of him and killed him. <laughs> and shit. <laughs> Beat him with no one told bat. Al Capone, even a doctor, that he was sick. You understand? <laughs> it was so before you had the flu, and you doctor and Al Capone came to see you. You'd be like, "Oh, you're just fine, pal. Take these pills, even though." Or if you told him you was sick, which prison he did he go to? Though? It was, well, it, it says he was. It was he before, served. It was before his time. But what happens in Vegas? He, he had syphilis <laughs> when he went to prison, and it was yeah. never treated, and He's, that's what caused him to go fucking nuts. And well, then he yeah. lived with. I it. think he was mistreated though at the prison too. Like. Uh, uh, Actually, well, yeah, is it the prison that yeah. he ended up going to is one of the infamous haunted ones that's well, now closed? In Indiana, right? He served some time in the U.S. penitentiary in Atlanta, 
and then moved later to Alcatraz. Oh, that's oh. weird, Atlantic City. Oh. Okay, Alcatraz. What did you? Awesome. So you said it was in Indiana. You heard? I thought he was in a prison in Indiana. I was thinking well, of look a, it up, and if you I, got something, let me know. I thought it, it might was have a, been at one time. Wasn't it Ohio? People moved, like, yeah, uh, Eastern State they, Penitentiary they might or have something moved, like that. Moved him maybe if he was until he was able to go. See, they let him out because the syphilis it, was fucking with his brain so bad that he was no reason it, to keep him in I'm jail pretty, anymore. I'm pretty sure it's Eastern State Penitentiary, which is one of the most haunted prisons in the United States. Maybe he was supposed to do 10 years in Atlanta and then 31 years in like in Indiana. So Al Capone was sent to the United States Penitentiary in Atlanta, Georgia in May 1932 after being convicted of tax evasion. However, due to his continued criminal activities and influence, even from behind bars, authorities decided to transfer him to a more that makes sense. secure yeah. facility. It's close to New York. 34, he was transferred to the newly opened Alcatraz Federal Penitentiary located on Alcatraz Island in San Francisco Bay, California. So when he went, when he spent his time in Alcatraz, he spent a lot of time alongside some other high-profile that criminals. That was a shitty fucking prison, though. Such as George Machine Gun Kelly. Uh, George Kelly was a notorious American gangster and kidnapper. Uh, gained infamy for his involvement in high-profile well, crimes. His wife told people that he could write his name on he, the wall with the machine gun. Real quick. He didn't go to Eastern State Penitentiary in Ohio? Mm-mm. Well then, I don't know who I'm thinking of. Well then, there's stories. Then cool. that that fucking haunted prison tour bullshit. They're giving <laughs> you, you a bunch. <laughs> they're giving you a line of bullshit. They're like, this is one of the last days where Al Capone was. Machine Gun Kelly's story is kind of cool, but Babyface Nelson's story is probably one of the coolest. We'll get the Babyface, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so. It's the coolest. These fucking murderers that have beat people's fucking bank robber and crazy <laughs> motherfuckers. <laughs> wasn't wasn't baby face Nelson like gunned down in a fucking apple orchard by Ellie and this? Uh, and a, cu- of, and a I, couple other ones. I think there's some validity to none of that. I don't believe every uh, movie. That's what happened. The the movie with him. fucking Christian Bale. Yeah, they fucking have him kill um, baby face Nelson. Um, wasn't that, wasn't that the wasn't that the one where fucking Johnny Depp plays John Dillinger? Yeah, 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 but I don't believe that happened in real life. So he was alongside Machine Gun Kelly, Robert Stroud, the Birdman of Alcatraz, and Alvin Creepy Carpus. It's not Elliot Nelson, it's Melvin something. Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, Birdman of Alcatraz, he uh, was a convicted murderer, and he gained extensive, he was just kind of gained notoriety because he had an extensive knowledge of birds, and he had a bunch of pigeons around like him. Pets, right? Pets, pigeons in Alcatraz, yeah. <laughs> uh, um uh, Alvin Carpus, Alvin Creepy Carpus, was a notorious American criminal, prominent member of the Barber Carpus gang in the 1930s. Known for his bal- involvement in bank robberies and kidnapping, uh, he was in prison from Alcatraz, in Alcatraz from 36 to 62, overlapping with Capone's confinement. Did, did he get to hang out with Godspeed? Oh, wait, no. No, no that was that was Nicolas Cage's character. Never mind. There's, uh, a, there's some mobster who ended up going to... I'm not sure who it is, but he went to... Um, Alcatraz, and he ended up having his fucking head bashed in with a pipe. I remember who it was. He survived and shit, but it fucked him up for the rest of his life. While in prison, Capone's health deteriorated due to syphilis, a disease he had contract, contracted in his youth, but had never been treated for because you don't fucking tell Al Capone that he's sick. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So some of the wonderful things Imagine about syphilis. some of the poor women that had to make love with him. He like, was only forced to, what's yeah. What's that icky coming out of there? And it's uh, like, Don't what? worry about it. Don't worry. You didn't see nothing. You didn't see nothing. the boss. You do, do what you, I say. Yeah, man. He was only 48 when he died. Yeah. He had a lot of life left to live. Imagine if they wouldn't arrested him and shit. So, some wonderful things about syphilis. What can happen with syphilis? 
So you have a lot of neurological complications. Uh, advanced syphilis can affect the nervous system, leading to symptoms such as memory loss, difficulty with coordination, personality changes, cognitive decline. Uh, Capone was said to have exhibited signs of confusion and dementia-like symptoms and a decline of ment mental functioning, which you can also have kind of like the bipolar effect, which he very clearly demonstrated throughout his entire career. Indeed. Uh, physical physical decline. I'd say um, the baseball bat event was a uh, syphilis attack. He was a pretty. <laughs> yeah. It was a bed, yeah. <laughs> it was dick was burned. He was mad. He just he started just bashing <laughs> in heads with bats. <laughs> and the best part, you get that. You got to get that. You got to get that good. <laughs> and, and after all that swinging and everything, he probably had a release down there. Probably real nice. <laughs> it's, it's called <laughs> medical. It's called medical Stop. discard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, he just the uh, weirdest fucking thing about Al Capone is his last like eight years just fucking living in a swamp I, in I, Florida, like just kicking it, like well, he, enjoying he, life and family. He served eight years. Capone was released in, on November sixteenth, nineteen thirty nine, due to good behavior and his deteriorating health, like we talked about. Immediately entered a Baltimore hospital for brain treatment, and then went to his home in Miami Beach, Florida. Um, his life after prison was quiet, and his mind and health continued to deteriorate. He was only seen occasionally in public. His once role in a powerful in the Chicago underworld was no more. He spent the last years of his life in his mansion in Palm Island, Florida, where he died of cardiac arrest. Sitting on arrest. the dock, talking to himself That's on true. January twentieth, nineteen forty-seven. The uh, the movie that that Dick had with Tom Hardy in it. Um, Fucking the cops are trying to fucking get him to tell him where the money's at, and this cop goes undercover and he's pretending like he's like an art teacher or some kind of just someone who can sit, basically a nanny, someone can sit with Al Capone. He's got him drawing pictures, and like he's drawing pictures of bags of money and shit, and like they think that like he was the cop was like thinking that he was trying to tell him where the money's hidden at. Oh, yeah. In my mind, Al Capone was probably just fucking with him all the way up to the day that he died. You know what I'm saying? I think he had like uh, the, the intelligence of, of a flea. Like the last couple of years. Maybe. Like, or he's just playing so stupid that fucking, you know. Please, please tell me because it's beyond the unknown. Ordinary. Ordinary. Unknown. That's. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> My bad. I fucked up the title. But when we're talking about money. Please tell me we're going to do D.B. Cooper eventually. Oh, sure. Absolutely. <laughs> we're right. going to do all sorts of wonderful they, shit. They think they figured out who went, got to the bottom of that. Yeah, oh, D.B. Yeah, Cooper? They think they know who D.B. Cooper is? Yeah, they solved D.B. Cooper the other day? Yeah, there's... Not the other day. It was a while ago. But oh. mm. Speaking of other mobsters, I, I heard that they might have found Hoffa's body, too. Well, fuck. Really? Another time that we might have found Hoffa's body. What's it underneath this time? Well, I think it was in some, some lake or some place in Jersey. I don't exactly uh, know. I the, think they burned his body in a crematorium. Baby. Probably. Well, folks, that is Al Capone. Um, thanks for sticking around with us. Uh, this is our first episode of Beyond the Ordinary. Um, like I said, we're going to be talking about all sorts of crazy... Conspiracy theories, aliens, serial killers, motherfucking oh, cryptids, dog, cryptids, everything, dude, dude, man. If, the shit that creeps you, do, you out. If you do aliens, uh, we gotta do the goblins of Hopkinsville. Things We're that going go bump to. in the night. Mothman, yes. <laughs> Mothman, everything. So and I can anything, question man. why nobody's got out and punched this fucker in the face. <laughs> everyone, just, everyone just runs from him. No one got, gets out and fights. It doesn't make sense. So what I guess realized. Clint's going to be my driver. I'm going to go drinking. We're going to go on backcountry roads. I'm going to see him run shit over, and we're going to have a good time. Well, we're going to hunt Mothman. Uh, if we get attacked by Mothman, we're killing we gotta it. we got to go to West Virginia I don't like first. When drive. We're killing it, and then we're going to take it back to civilization so we all become famous. Supposedly, there were some Mothman sightings in, okay, in Chicago uh, last year, a couple years ago. Uh, not, not 
the day of 9-11, there was Chernobyl, Chicago, well, West Virginia. Mothman speaks telepathically. Right. He, he, he was everywhere. Mothman is supposedly like a harbinger. So we, well, it sounds like we've got to do a Mothman episode. Yeah, apparently. We're going to have to do that. But thank you for sticking around for our first episode about uh, Beyond the Ordinary. 